Bibles this evening, if you will, turn it to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. I read about a man that was born into a prominent family in Norwich, Connecticut in 1741. He was a young man named Benny, and he was raised in a world of privilege and opportunity. His early life was marked by tragedy. Both of his parents uh, died along with his siblings, less left him with a, just a sense of loss, but also a determination to succeed uh, even against great odds. He developed a talent for leadership. He had a fearless demeanor, and it caught the attention of the local military leaders. He soon found himself thrust in the middle of a growing conflict between the American colonies and the British crown. Benny's military career began in earnest in 1775 when he joined the Continental Army and quickly rose to the ranks. His early successes, including the capture of Fort Ticonderoga and the victory at the Battle of Saratoga, earned him the rank of Major General. He made him a national hero. However, his success was not without his challenges. Despite his achievements on the battlefield, he often found himself at odds with the officers under his command and the Continental Congress who viewed him often with suspicion and mistrust. His troubles came to a head in 1779. He was appointed military commander of Philadelphia and he lived an extravagant lifestyle. He married or he was married to a loyalist sympathizer, Peggy Shippen, who drew the attention of his critics and once again raised questions about his loyalty to the American cause. He felt unappreciated, unfairly treated, and he began to think and entertain thoughts of betrayal. And in 1780, Benny or Benedict Arnold, discontent reached a boiling point. He's facing mountains of debt, growing sense of disillusionment, and he made contact with British intelligence and began to negotiate a deal to betray the American fort at West Point, New York. Benedict Arnold's plan was simple, but it would be devastating. He would surrender West Point to the British, and what that would do is it would allow them uh, to gain a strategic foothold there in the Hudson Valley, potentially turn the tide of the war in the favor of the British Army. It was nearly successful. September 1780, British Major John Andre, posing as a civilian, met with Arnold to uh, finalize the details of the plot, but their, their plans were foiled when Andre was captured by American forces and he was carrying in incriminating documents. Fearing capture and execution, Arnold fled to the safety of the British lines where he was welcomed as a hero there and he was given a commission in the British Army. The discovery of Arnold's betrayal sent shockwaves all through the American colonies. His name, once synonymous with heroism and bravery, was now reviled as the ultimate traitor. Not only that, his actions cast a shadow on the loyalty of others in positions of power. Benedict Arnold's unfaithfulness remains a stark reminder of the fragile nature of trust 
and the importance of integrity, loyalty, especially in times of crisis. It's hard to believe that in the early years of the American Revolutionary War, Benedict Arnold stood as a shining example of patriotism and valor. His military prowess and leadership, they were instrumental in leading to some very key and important victories. But he surrendered more than just West Point. He surrendered his integrity. Now his very name is a byword for being a traitor. Everyone who has trusted anyone has been let down by someone. Benedict Arnold is just one example in countless throughout history of people that have really broken someone else's trust. It happens far too often, even in places where you would expect there to be integrity. Maybe there's been a time and a place where you've been hurt by someone. Maybe a, a pastor that was harsh or didn't wait to hear all the facts. I've known family that had years of trust evaporate over trivial inheritance issues. I've seen trust slowly leak out of marriages between couples because of wrong thinking or infidelity. This morning or this evening, I want to remind you that trust is more than a feeling. It is an act of faith. It's tempting to think that trust is, is something simple. Have you ever heard somebody say, just trust me? Maybe you've said it yourself. I want you to know those aren't casual or careless words. They ought to carry weight. And sometimes when you hear that, you ought to stop and say, is this person trustworthy? Should I say that? Am I trustworthy? I think each one of us would like to believe that we would immediately identify a dishonest car salesman or the scammer's email and say, oh, how could anybody fall for that? But if you've ever been let down by somebody, you know you've fallen for something. I once read about a story about a man that had an operation that prevented him from being able to have children. More than a decade, decade later, his wife got pregnant. He was faced with two unalterable facts. He was sterile. But his wife was pregnant. So instead of trusting his wife, he demanded a paternity test. In his own testimony, he said that if the child was not his, he would get a divorce and leave his wife and the children that they already had. Now, you probably figured out already it was his child. And the operation had been reversed in some way. But I will tell you, great Damage was done to that relationship because he was unwilling to trust his wife. There was something in their relationship that he couldn't say, I trust her. 
Secular studies have come to the conclusion that couples that have the most satisfaction in life are married couples that trust their spouse is going to be there for them even through difficult times. Let me just say, your spouse shouldn't wonder, should never even question if they're going to go through hard times with you. Because I promise you, you're going to go through hard times. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be challenges. And as you grow together, as you go through those challenges, you will come out a stronger couple because of it. As you both rely on the Lord and learn to trust each other. So whether it's at marriage or at work, our our world operates on trust. Everything we do is based in trust. You can start as wide as you want with the economy. You go to a store or you buy something online, you're trusting that the money they take from you is going to show up in a package from Amazon on your doorstep. When you get in your car, you're trusting that that car's not going to explode. Listen, we don't have remote starts to, to make sure, you know, give it five seconds to see if it's going to explode or not before we get into it. Unless you own a Ford Pinto from 1972, okay? And don't back up into anything with that. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. All I'm going to say is they put a gas tank in a very precarious place and probably about 30 people died, uh, at least 30 people died from being rear-ended in a Pinto or Ford Pinto. You're trusting that even after you get that car going, that the people that are coming towards you are going to stay on their side of the line. Every aspect of our society, in one way or another, is built on trust. I'll tell you, if you've been hurt, it is hard to begin trusting again. And it is easy to think that I'm going to protect myself, I'm going to put up the walls, and I'm not going to allow anybody past that wall, and I'm not going to trust anybody uh, because I don't want to be hurt again. But I will tell you, as long as you have that wall up, as long as you keep those defenses up, you may not trust anyone, but you will never be able to reach anyone either. I'm going to give you several ways, six ways that trust can be broken. First one is deception. Intentionally misleading or lying to someone is going to break their trust. Now let me be very clear tonight. Because we like to withhold information, or we like to give information that is intended to conceal the truth, and we'll say, well, I didn't lie about it. If you give somebody information or withhold information with the intent to deceive, you are being deceptive. That is what deception is. When you do that, there is a breaking of the trust. Now, I would submit to you tonight that trust is like like a bridge. And I hope that when you get married 
the bridge in your marriage is like the Golden Gate Bridge, just beautiful and strong and, and, and it has great capacity. But when trust is broken, it's like putting dynamite on either side of that bridge and detonating it, and it goes right in to the ocean below. We're going to talk about rebuilding that bridge if we have time tonight. But understand, when you are deceiving someone, when you are lying, when you are concealing, when you are being deceptive in some way, when you are hiding something from someone, that's going to break trust. It's going to come out, and when it does, you're going to break trust and you're going to break someone's heart. Along with deception, I would say, is betrayal. What is betrayal? It's similar to deception, but I would say it's acting against someone else's interests. When you break a promise, when you violate that trust, it is like breaking that bridge. How do you act against someone's interests? Well, I have this as a separate one, but I'm going to give it to you. It's when you are acting in your own self-interest. When you prioritize your interests over the interests of others, it's hard to follow you or to trust you to make decisions that are going to affect my life. Husbands, when, when you make decisions that are always beneficial for you and the rest of the family suffers, you make it difficult, you make it hard for your family to follow you then because they say, well, are they taking us into account? Do you see, you can't betray their uh, uh, trust. You can't work against someone else's interest and always prioritize yourself and expect people to trust and then follow those decisions. Let me tell you another way that we can lose trust or break somebody's uh, trust. When we're unreliable, when there is a complete lack of reliability, when you don't follow through with the commitments that you've made, if you are constantly late, I'll, I'll tell you, if you find yourself speeding to get places all the time so you're not late, you are unreliable. I know I lived that for a good portion of my younger years. God really had to do a work in my heart. I never wanted to wait somewhere. And let me tell you, that's a very selfish outlook because I'm saying my, my time is more important than your time. And so I would just, uh, I, I talked to somebody, they said, it's not so much that uh, I don't want to be there, it's just I don't want to leave what I'm doing to be there on time. You've got to look ahead and say, if I'm going to be reliable, if I'm going to be trustworthy, I need to be where I'm supposed to be, listen, before I'm supposed to be there. You shouldn't be leaving at the time that you're supposed to be somewhere. If you know it's a 10 or 15 minute drive, you can't wait till five minutes before the hour to, to get in your car and see if you can make up the difference. That's dangerous. But I'll just tell you, that kind of unreliability is really a, a factor in whether or not your boss or uh, your coworker or anyone 
is going to be willing to entrust you with that valuable thing called trust. Let me tell you, <laughs> let me share another one that I have on my list, inconsistency. I worked with someone that I genuinely wanted to know every time I saw them, how are you doing today? Because I had no idea what they were going to say. I mean, some days, it was great, life is good. And other days, it's like, what are you asking me for? You know, I just had no idea what that guy was going to say. And uh, he wore his, his emotions on his shirt sleeve. And, and if he was having a bad day, everybody around him was going to have a bad day. Let me tell you, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to trust somebody that is inconsistent, that is unpredictable. Let me go and take a step further on that inconsistency. It's when you're not consistent in being able to hold information that people have given to you. Now, I'll tell you in the ministry, I call it being the black hole of information. It means when somebody tells you something, you're not allowed to tell anybody else. You can tell it to God. Thank the Lord He's given us prayer as a relief valve, okay? But, but it's not just preachers that ought to be a black hole of information. If, if somebody comes to you in confidence and they're looking for help, now listen to me, I am not saying that if abuse is involved or if somebody's uh, threatening to harm themselves or to harm someone else, there's times to come forward. But if somebody comes to you and says, I'm really struggling in this area, it's not time to use that as an illustration uh, when you're talking to your friends or, or to be telling somebody else about it. You talk about losing trust. That's taking somebody's challenges, especially in ministry, and using that as an illustration. Well, I didn't use their names. No, you have violated their trust by bringing their difficulties or problems before everyone else. Now, I say that, but I'll tell you, if the Lord gives a message and, and the, those truths are right there, I'm not necessarily going to dodge those. I, I will tell you, I've gone to somebody before, and I said, listen, I'm preaching on this tonight. I'm not attacking you, but I can't back away from what the Scripture teaches. I don't want to use what we call a bully pulpit to say something from behind the pulpit that I wouldn't be willing to counsel or talk to somebody in private about. Let me give you one last one. A lack of communication. I was starting to get convicted on these last couple, and so I just wanted to breeze past them a little quicker. When we don't communicate our expectations openly or honestly, it creates that uncertainty and doubt. It makes others hard to, it makes it hard for others to trust what you're doing because you're not communicating. You might have right motives. Let me talk to men just for a moment as, as husbands and fathers. You might be going in the right direction, but if we're not communicating that, if we're not telling others not just the direction we're going, but this is why we're going here. In, in one sense, I'm paid to be a communicator. But I'll tell you, that's one of the greatest struggles I have is to communicate that, uh, that vision or that direction, to keep that communication going. It's, it's work, but people are not going to trust 
you if you're not willing to communicate with them? How do you rebuild trust once it's been broken? The very first step is acknowledging the hurtful action. We're not going to take time right now, but you can go to Psalm 51. David says, against thee and thee only. He acknowledges the sin that he has against God. And so acknowledge the specific actions and behaviors that led to that trust being broken. That means you have to take responsibility. Well, I was late because of this reason or that reason, and we're just excuse after excuse after excuse. Mrs. Phillips, I'd like you to write a book. I can only imagine the excuses that you get. Possibly the dean of men or the dean of women over at the college there. I hope that's not true. I could be wrong about that. But I'm telling you, if, if you have an excuse, now we don't say they're excuses. What do we call them? Reasons. I have a reason. You have an excuse, okay? Take responsibility for your role in the situation and avoid making excuses or, listen, blaming others. Oh, it wasn't my fault the assignment wasn't done. It's not my fault that we didn't make sales for the month. Secondly, apologize. Get things right. Do it sincerely. After a genuine apology, remember we talked about this several months ago, but it's not just, I'm, I'm sorry I failed you. I'm sorry I broke your trust. Really, one and two go together. Taking responsibility and apologizing. It ought to be, I'm sorry that I caused this meeting uh, or this project to fail, whatever it is, and, and uh, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? You're taking responsibility for the problem, for you being the problem. And make that right. Make amends then. Not only do you acknowledge the, the wrong action, you apologize and, and take responsibility, but then you make amends. You make restitution for your ac actions. Th this can involve correcting your mistakes or giving a, a restitution if, if you've caused damage to something. You take responsible actions to prevent that from happening again. But we're mistaken if we think that just I'm sorry is going to earn people's trust back. You have to take that step further and make things right with that person. If you break something that belongs to someone else, you have to replace it. If, if you take advantage of someone else, you should make that restitution. That's what happened to an IRS agent, agent back in 2016. Now, Keisha Hall, she was 40. She pled guilty uh, to theft of government funds. Aggravated identity theft, unauthorized access to a protected computer and conspiracy to commit bank fraud and mail fraud affecting a financial institution. She stole more than $1 million from the agency, the IRS. She claimed more than $400,000 in fraudulent tax refunds. 
She was sentenced to three years in prison and ordered to pay $119,000 in restitution. But she wasn't the first IRS agent to have to make restoration. You may remember there was an internal revenue servant that really wanted to see the Lord Jesus Christ. He climbed the sycamore tree, right? What happened when he got saved? There was no judge, there was no court, there was no jury award that said that he had to pay restitution, but because he had now a right relationship with God, there was something different about him, and he repaid everybody what they owed four times, what he had stolen from them. Zacchaeus understood about earning people's trust back. Not only should you make restitution, you have to adjust that behavior. Demonstrate through your actions that you are committed to rebuilding that trust. There has to be this, this transparency and, and consistency and reliability in your interactions. And you have to follow through then with your commitments. Now here's where people struggle oftentimes. They break somebody's trust and they apologize and the offender thinks everything is going to go back to normal. I want to be very clear. There is a difference between forgiveness and trusting someone. There is a difference. That's an important distinction to make. Because I can forgive somebody that's stolen from me, but that doesn't mean I'm going to ask him to hold my wallet next time. And so part of that adjusted behavior it takes time. It takes time. And so when you're rebuilding that bridge, sometimes it starts as just a little footbridge, and it's just one plank at a time. People want to throw guilt trips one towards another. You just don't trust me. I did trust you, but I got hurt. I'm not holding a grudge. I've forgiven you of this, but that takes time. And so be patient. It's important. You need to have understanding. If you are the offender, you've got to recognize that the people that you have hurt need that time to heal and to start rebuilding that bridge back in their life and yours. And then guess what? Communicate openly. If a lack of communication is a way to destroy trust, then opening that communication is going to help being honest, being transparent, listening to their concerns, listening to their feelings, listen without getting defensive and then be willing to address those issues that arise. What I've seen oftentimes is people that have broken someone else's trust, they're willing to do whatever it takes to rebuild that for a time. And they're willing to put in the work, but when they don't see the response that they want in the time frame that they want, they get angry. They get frustrated. And they just say, listen, I feel like I'm continually being punished for something I did so long ago. What they don't understand is they don't get to choose the time frame. 
By the way, if you're one that is working through something, if you're not actively working it out with God, if you're not working through those and you're just thinking things are going to be different, I don't think that's fair to the person that has offended you. But it is possible to forgive someone and still not give them your trust. Let me give you last, one last one that will help regain trust. And that is to seek a counselor. And sometimes talking to someone like a pastor or someone that you trust, a godly counselor, can help in rebuilding that trust. There are times that, that a third party or, or someone that is indifferent to the situation coming in can help facilitate the, the communication and work through these lingering issues. So I'm going to ask you, with all the, the time that we've spent looking at how trust is broken or how to rebuild trust, it gives us a picture of what trust is. So when we look at Proverbs chapter 3, very familiar verse, verse 5, What's the first word? Trust. Well, who does it want us to trust? What's it say? It says in chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord. Before we get to that next phrase, I just want to ask you, do you believe that God is trustworthy? Oh, yes, I, I no, I'm asking. Have you been hurt? Are you sitting here tonight questioning whether or not you can trust God with this issue in your life, with this hurt that you've had, uh, with this situation, with these circumstances? Is He trustworthy? Let me ask you this. Has God ever deceived us? No. He cannot lie. He's perfectly holy. He doesn't give us half answers in a way that would deceive us. He doesn't give us half truths or full lies. He has given us truth. God is no deceiver. There is one that's a father of lies, the devil, and he will try to convince you that God does not have your best interest at heart. Has God ever worked against your best interest? No. Now, sometimes from our limited perspective, we can think, well, I didn't want this to happen in my life, or I don't like how this has worked. But God knows what is best for us, each and every one of us, individually. And He is trustworthy. And so that tells me that whatever He allows into my life is for my benefit and His glory. God does not work on His own self-interest. He works so that He is glorified, but He loves us enough that our best interest is how He is glorified. Has He ever betrayed us? Is there a lack of reliability? How many promises has God broken to you? Not one. Not a single one. And every promise that God has given, He will answer.
That's how we can have, that's how our faith increases because we look at these promises and we know that God has never broken a promise and He never will. And we can claim those promises. We can see those things working in our lives. God is trustworthy. There is no inconsistency with Him and there is no lack of communication. We can talk to Him anytime we want to. We can go and listen to what He has for us. He said, I just need some wisdom for life. Spend some time in Proverbs. I just need to be comforted. Spend some time in Psalms. He wants to speak to your heart, but He speaks through His Word. But He wants you to speak to Him as well. God is trustworthy. But then it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Let me give you the idea behind that. If we, if we keep with this idea of a bridge that is the trust that we're to have for one another, I'm going to tell you, this would be an indestructible bridge. Whenever there's a war, whether it's Ukraine or Vietnam or wherever it was, one side usually wants to destroy the bridges so that you cannot get material and supplies to the people or the troops that are forward on the front lines. If you can do that, then they're going to have to find a way to withdraw because they don't have what they need to be on the front line. So bridges are always being attacked in war. That's true even with the war between Ukraine and Russia right now. But when it talks about trusting God with your whole heart, I'm talking about a bridge that is indestructible. Because God is so trustworthy, when something happens in our life that is hard for us to grasp, and whether it's news from a doctor or news from a family member, and we are shocked and we are tempted to question God's goodness, we say, no, I am trusting God with all my heart. I'm not going to let anything destroy that bridge between me and Him because He is trustworthy. So God, the Holy Spirit, who inspired these words, is basically saying, you can trust me. Not only that, He's telling us to. Trust me. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And he says, lean not unto your own understanding. I don't think I'm going to do harm to the text to say that when we lean into our own understanding, in a sense, that is projecting our instability, our unfaithfulness, our lack of communication to God. And all those things that I said, we start attributing those, we project those onto God. And he's saying, no, 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 no. There is a difference here. Do you see the contrast that he makes? He says, there is trusting in the Lord with all your heart. And the contrast to that is leaning in your own understanding. Well, how can you increase that trust in the Lord? The psalmist tells us. He says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. And so that means that when you are 
in that place and in those circumstances that you are tempted to doubt God's goodness and trustworthiness, you acknowledge Him. You say, no, God, I know that your way is perfect. That you are a loving God. I know this about you. Somebody said this before. Don't doubt in the valley what you have learned in the mountaintop. And so when we we think about trusting God, it's that when we are tempted and when we are oppressed and when we are, are tried, when Satan most wants us to question the integrity of God, that we say, I'm going to acknowledge Him in this. Sometimes I think it's good, even in the midst of a trial, to say, what can I do to glorify God? Now, that's hard. I'm not saying that's our first response. It ought to be. But I think God brings us to a place, even in our trials, that we say, how can I bring Him glory? Because you come to a place where you just realize, I can't do anything to fix where I am. He says, I want you to trust me in this. share just very quickly a few results of trusting the Lord. Right here in verse 6, it says that He's going to direct thy paths. You say, God, how how can I glorify you? Where where in this thing can can I show that I am trusting you? And really what you're saying is, God, I'm exercising my faith. I'm claiming the promises that you are a good God, and I want you to be glorified even through this. Isaiah says when we trust in the Lord, that He reveals His everlasting strength in Isaiah 26.4. The psalmist reminds us that what time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. You know what that means? He gives us peace when we trust Him. He drives out that anxiety. That's what uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 remind us. He says, in God, same same Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, in God I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. We are reminded of what is important, what our priority should be when we are trusting in the Lord. Psalm 118.8 says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. God is our defender and our shield when we Trust Him. That's what it says in Psalm 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Isaiah 12, 2 talks again about being afraid. Jeremiah 17 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope, is, whose hope the Lord is. Psalm 62, 8 reminds us that God is our refuge when we trust Him. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. We talk a lot about the difference between happiness and joy. We say the Christian should have joy regardless of the circumstances. We preach that almost like we think that being happy is a bad thing. You want to be happy? Trust the Lord. He that handleth the matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. You ever felt lost? I don't mean in a 
sense that you're not saved. I'm just saying lonely, isolated. Trust the Lord in those dark times. Psalm 9.10 says, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. Psalm 143.8 is really a mirror verse to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. God has promised over and over and over again. Peace, peace when you trust in the Lord. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Let me just give you several things that he gives when we trust him. I've given you several. I want to give you several more. First of all, he gives us salvation, right? That's what he gives. When we put our faith or our trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have salvation. That gives us the forgiveness of our sins. He gives us peace. He gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit. He gives us that strength and weakness. He gives us guidance and victory over sin, strength and trials, comfort, hope, strength and persecution, wisdom. He provides for us when we Trust in him, but God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. God is trustworthy. That's how he can say, trust in me. With all of your heart, don't hold anything back. Don't think that he is as unreliable and untrustworthy as you know yourself to be at times. Now let me finish with this thought. If we serve a trustworthy God, and he wants us to reflect his glory to the world around us, we should, be, we should strive to be trustworthy ourselves. Do you know what that means? That means that we should not be deceptive. It means that we should not betray someone else's interest or putting our self-interest above everyone else's. It means that we should be reliable. It means that there shouldn't be an inconsistency in our life that prevents people from being able to trust that we're going to do what we say we're going to do. It means that we ought to have a clear communication with those around us so they know what to expect from us. We ought to reflect his glory. And the people that we work with, the people in our family, the people that we rub shoulders with, we should be able to say to them, trust in me with all of your heart because I'm not going to let you down. Now, the truth is man will let you down. But as a Christian, we should have that same mentality. I'm going to have the kind of character that I'm not going to let my wife or my husband down. I'm not going to let my children or my parents down. But I'm going to have the kind of relationships that show that I am trustworthy because I serve a trustworthy God who's going to help me in my time of need. Let's pray together.